you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Win Win Podcast and a very special Wednesday episode. I'm sure now, especially as we are in year two of working from home, we miss those water cooler moments of talking to our peers and coworkers, exchanging the latest tips about movies, restaurants, camera recommendations, you name it. While e-commerce has undoubtedly become a norm or expectation for consumers, we still seek out sources to share information on the latest and greatest purchases you can make. Yotpo, an Israeli startup that's been around since 2011 and now has a global presence, hundreds of employees worldwide, and just raised $230 million in Series F funding, has been solving this exact issue through its leading e-commerce marketing platform. Whether it's a smart algorithm that knows the products to request reviews for and when, or the ways that Yotpo integrates social user-generated content across multiple sites and vendors, there is no question that this company is at the helm of innovation. Today, I speak to Noah Tarakor Lazarov, Yotpo's Director of Product Operations, as well as Michelle Mueller, Product Manager for Reviews and Ratings, and we really, really get into it. What's really unique about today's episode is that we really hone in on what it means to work in a pre-IPO startup from an innovation perspective, but also the risks and benefits that come with it, as well as the process of negotiation that takes place. Noah and Michelle share their exact processes and experience on negotiating equity and how they navigated their roles in a company that is both incredibly successful and is also still growing. One of my favorite parts is how actionable their advice is, so definitely take notes. In addition to having a high number of women in various innovation leadership roles ranging from product to engineering, Yotpo has a wonderful initiative called Amazing Women in E-Commerce, which awards senior women leading the e-commerce space and features their stories throughout the year. If you're interested in the e-commerce space, I would highly recommend that you check out Yotpo at yotpo.com, as well as the Amazing Women in E-Commerce site to learn more and see Yotpo's open roles. I know that this is definitely a lengthier episode, but it is full of insights about negotiating and understanding equity to the role that women leaders have on the careers of other women and more. And I've really loved partnering with the Yutpo team to get this super valuable content out to you. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to email team at womeninnovation.co or zoya at womeninnovation.co. Enjoy. Hi, Noah and Michelle. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi. Hey, good morning or afternoon. So excited to have you two here. Um, I'm very lucky because I get to interview the both of you on the podcast and your individual trajectories are super interesting. But I also know that there's this huge conversation around women collaborating and why that works and why it doesn't work. So I'm sure we will get into all of that and it will be a lot of fun. Um, I would love to start off this podcast with an introduction of you, Noah. You are the Director of Product Operations at Yotpo. So why don't you briefly tell us what that really means and what your path to get there looks like? Sure. 
So actually, it's the number one question I get asked, which is what is product ops? Um, and if you think about it, it, it makes such a sense to have such a domain because you have marketing ops and sales ops. So why not have product ops? Um, so product ops could be a lot of things for different companies. I've interviewed a lot of product operations people uh, in the past couple of weeks and each have kind of their own definition. But at Yotpo specifically, it helps solve a major, major, major complexity of a multi-product, multi-platform, multi-segment, multi-geography company. Yotpo, um, for those of you who are not familiar with it, is not a single product company. It has five to seven different products, depending how you measure it and who you ask, serving four different segments, VSPs, SMBs, mid-market and enterprise. That's creating, if you think about it, a seven by four matrix, so 28 squares, uh, serving different customers around the globe. And besides the SVP product, there isn't a single person looking at the entire thing. And that's exactly the job definition and kind of uh, objective of product ops is to make sure the entire thing is working super efficiently and contributing, contributing to the bottom line. Uh, my customers are obviously the OPPO customers, but also the product managers. My goal is to make their life easier and clearer. And it's especially critical at Yotpo right now where we're scaling like crazy. Uh, we're hiring, we're growing, we're raising money. And it's a really, really exciting uh, and challenging position to be. And how did you get into your role today? Um, that's really an interesting question because I kind of created that role. Uh, product ops is new in the world specifically, but in Israel, very much so. Uh, my background is a mix of heavy, heavy product management and also heavy operations. Uh, I was a product manager and a team lead for Hewlett Packard for a few years. Then I got my, mas my master at Harvard and I worked for SoundCloud here in New York, kind of doing music ops. And when I moved back to Israel, I really asked myself, how do I essentially combined between my two passions, which is product and operations, because uh, I wanted to be in product. I feel that it's the core of kind of every company, uh, but I'm a very much an operational person. I love processes and I love efficiency and numbers. Sorry about yes, it, but it's true. To that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of offered that specific position to my current manager, who's the SVP of product. Uh, and we developed the discipline and the domain together and really saw a business gap and a business need. And we created that, uh, that position. And I'm now really, really building the domain, the strategy and the team um, around it. Before we get into your background, Michelle, that's really, really unique and really interesting because I think fundamentally you need to have this skill set or ability to say, actually, this is what I want. And just because it doesn't exist yet, doesn't mean I'm not going to get it. So where did that come from? Did you watch somebody else do it? Or or how did you approach that? Um, I think that I, I asked myself a set of questions when I looked for a job. And when I looked for my kind of next position in my career, the first one was what type of company I want to be at in the sense of what industry and what size. Uh, I was looking for an industry that is thriving and that is interesting. Um, and e-commerce caught my eye for, for the obvious reasons. And I was looking for a company who is scaling rapidly. It's still not a corporate, but it's not a tiny startup with all the risks that is associated and the problems sure. that are associated with it. And Yapo was exactly on that kind of interface of 
interesting industry, industry, but also really, really interesting size. Um, and then I investigated the company heavily, uh, really to understand uh, their problems and complexities. I did a very deep due diligence with current employees, former employees, everything kind of that I could find online. And had a very frank conversation with the SVP of product. And I was lucky enough that he was flexible to consider my proposition. Uh, my, me- my message would be talk to people in the company, understand the gaps and the complexities that they're facing and try to combine it with your specific passion. Uh, if there's a domain like product hop ops, who's currently in other companies, but you're not fully familiar with it, you can actually speak to other product ops people, which I did. Uh, and kind of help build the discipline and the proposition that you have. Yeah, and I think fundamentally what you're doing is innovation, right? You're looking at the white space and you're creating operations, processes, efficiencies there. Amazing. So, Michelle, you are a product manager for the on-site shopper experience of reviews and ratings at Yotpo. How did you land the role and what was your professional background like? First of all, I just want to say, I want to comment on what Noah said, because it's, it's kind of like the, the, the best thing about product management and, and kind of the whole field of product management where it's very new and we're all kind of, there's, there's not, your question, Zoya, is also like very, it's very on point because there's no product manager who says, oh, I studied product management at university and that's why I'm a product manager. We all kind of somehow through our walks of life end up as somehow connected to product and then end up product managers. And what Noah is actually doing is she's, she's, really, she's product managing the product ops at, <laughs> at the Otpo. And it's, we're incredibly lucky because it, uh, it takes off a load of, of us, of operational stuff that we don't need to have to actually worry about. We can kind of go to her and, and then brainstorm and work together in order to think of like a collaborative process uh, that helps us get our job done better and more efficiently. And in terms of, of uh, how I got to, to Yotpo, I was really lucky after university, I studied statistics and uh, English literature, and I was very interested in better communicating technology. I think that there's this really interesting opportunity um, specifically also when I, when I graduated from university, I realized there's a lot of tech companies in Israel and they don't necessarily know how to explain what they're doing in a way that makes consumers or like people at the other end of the call excited about what they're doing. Um, so I kind of wanted to enter the tech world and, and like bring kind of communication and more of like the product marketing side of things. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up working at a very at, uh, a company that um, is now Iron Source, so it's like one of Israel's uh, largest unicorns and, and IPOs. Mm-hmm. And then there, I had a really amazing manager who said, "You're really good at leading without authority and making mm-hmm. like basically making people work for you, even though they don't actually report to you. You should consider product management." And what I was doing before Yotpa, I was working for a really great company called SimilarWeb. Um, which is ultimately like a really awesome data pro- product, and um, but it's very internal. You kind of sell to companies, and then they use it in their research as like an internal dashboard. And I was really eager to work kind of on the cusp of B2C, but yet still have the ability to talk to customers. Uh, so actually, the shopper experience domain at Yotpo allows me to build for consumers while collaborating with our brands and our merchants. 
Uh, so it's kind of just that place where I want it to be between B2B and B2C. And I think we've kind of jumped around it. Noah, would you mind just explaining exactly what Yotpo is and what it's set out to innovate? Sure. So Yotpo, wow, and Michelle, keep me honest here because it's such a big thing. But Yotpo is the number one platform for e-commerce marketing. We help brands grow their audience and reach more customers in a very authentic way by leveraging uh, UGC, user-generated content. So we essentially enable them tools to reach out to their customer, build that very strong connection, and essentially meet more customers by leveraging the materials other consumers created. Uh, we offer a set of products. Each of them we can offer individually, but I think the strength of Yotpo is actually the connection of the platform. Using a few of our products together, aka loyalty and referrals program and reviews, uh, which Michelle is managing uh, as a product manager. Uh, just on the company side, uh, we are based in Israel, uh, New York, Sofia, London, and now Australia. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we just opened a, a really cool uh, office there. And also, we're opening one in Texas. So we're, ve- we're very innovative. Very in that exciting. Sense. Yeah, very exciting. <laughs> so I think, you know, we, we've kind of been talking about it a little bit. I'm sure the both of you know I'm a product manager myself, and I've been with City for a year now. And I found product to be this elusive role, right? Like, Michelle, you mentioned it. It's so tough to understand how to get there, what people are doing it. But I also think it's not entirely clear what the qualifications are. And of course, there are so many talented women product managers, such as the both of you. But I do think when you have this unclear trajectory or education to get you to a certain role, it leaves room for less diversity, less women, less people of color, because, you know, what is a good fit, quote unquote? And so, Michelle, you started in the marketing space and transitioned into product. So you mentioned that your manager enabled you to get there. But when you were actually interviewing and getting into the product industry, what do you think actually enabled you to successfully take that role? I think that as a product manager, if you're really fulfilled by solving people's problems and really listening really attentively and not necessarily pushing your own agenda. I like to say that product managers always need to have um, strong opinions that are loosely held. And I think that uh, women are actually really, really good at that because we're, you know, we, we do have, we bring strong opinions to the table, but we, we're, we do have that like little bit of humility in order to say, well, maybe that's actually not, you know, the, the best approach and maybe we should go a different direction. I think that generally just gener- like being very, curious and very um, interested in people's problems and, and trying to solve them and looking for solutions was one of the key things that really helped me kind of push into product management, as well as I mentioned this earlier, like communication. I think that uh, no one ever, no one has ever criticized me for over communicating. And as a product manager, you just really, you have so many stakeholders you're what I like to call like a, it's like a tissue role. So like you're in between all the organs and you need to make sure that the right signals are being sent to the right places. And I think that making sure that you communicate really well is, is a very, very strong characteristic in a, in a product manager. And as well as, as I think that if you're really, if you have an optimistic streak, this is very, this is very personal also, but 
oftentimes in product management, you things don't get done exactly when you want them to and, and how you want them to necessarily. And you really need to be the type of person that knows how to pick yourself up and make the best of the situation and try to think of different ways to approach it and how different ways to communicate it as well and not kind of be like a just be like oh it never works out you know because right right i can also add to that that i don't know if it's accidental but both me and michelle studied in our undergrad what i like to call right side brain and left side brain um michelle studied statistic and English literature, mm-hmm. and I studied law and business administration. And I think a lot of product managers are just like that. They're super analytical, but also extremely people-oriented. And I'd like to think that's a feminine trait, the fact that we could really nail and crunch up, crunch up numbers and data and analysis, but also really find a way to communicate the message, make people act. And it's such a cliche, but influence without authority, being a product manager, that's the key to success. You're working with R&D, support, and just so many people. And being able to take everything that you've kind of built and really make them act upon it. That's the secret sauce. And that's a very, I think, feminine trait as I see it. I mean, I personally agree. It's really funny because I studied my undergrad at Parsons School of Design. I did design strategy and business. And then my master's was a master's of communication. And to this day, anytime I meet a product manager, they're like, you did a master's of communication? Why? And I'm like, if you can't understand why communication felt like the perfect kind of component to the business and the design background, I don't think we're on the same page because I agree. I think 90% of what I do is hopefully successful communication. But Noah, you actually, to me, I think you exemplify actually a more traditional quote unquote product career because you started an HP's leadership program. You have an MBA. So, you know, when you started in that leadership program, were there a lot of women working with you? And what was the experience like in kind of preparing you for the rest of your product career? So that's a really good question. If you look at if you look at my career, it seems like it's traditional, but you actually evaluate it. You see that my background is not technical. So I studied law and BA at undergrad, and I came in as a product manager for a highly, highly heavy technical hardware program at HP. And the reason I got the chance of being a product manager in a junior position was that my manager was a female. And I think she saw, yeah, and I think she saw some traits in, in me and she gave me a chance, which really kickstarted my career. And it's something I take with me. Um, I think we have responsible as, responsibility as women to really give chances to other women. And even if their background is not a complete fit, and even if they're not technical, because we do know women don't tend to go to, techni- to technical studies such as men, it's our ability to look for personality traits and to look for potential and to hire based not just upon those, obviously, but also upon those. And I think because she gave me a chance, and Maya, if you're listening to this, thank you to this day, I was the hardest worker pretty much uh, at my department. I was staying in the lab for dozens of hours a month uh, with engineers, studying the products, studying every bit and bite of it, and really getting to myself to the depth of the technical details, because I really feel it's required out of product managers. So even if you don't have the background, you have to acquire um, and you have to learn the technical side of things. And I think once you once you get in the door, you just need a chance. If you work hard and if you're passionate about it, you'll you'll excel, uh, and the rest will come. And the MBA was really kind of a game ch- changer for me because it really 
gave me the chance to evaluate other geographies. I moved to the States, I moved to Harvard, other industries. It got me out of HP and kind of out of the printing industry and to really gave me a chance to evaluate financial institution. It got me into music tech, which was my dream at SoundCloud. So I think for women considering kind of other career opportunities and looking for chances, an MBA could really be a door opener to really kind of meet other people, other industries, other roles. Um, so I would highly recommend to consider it. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I was doing my master's, it enabled me, even though by that point, I had four years of experience, which is not that much, but it's definitely like I, I came with some experience. It enabled me to go back and say, you know, I can explore whatever I want because I'm a student again, you know, and nobody sat there and judged me for saying like, oh, I'm going to interview for consulting and then I'm going to interview for innovation management. Oh, and I'm going to interview at a bank, you know, like it was kind of a free for all. And I think giving yourself that grace, especially as women, we hold ourselves to the standard. It enables you to like take that growth and learning mindset again. And Michelle, I believe in one of our conversations offline, you mentioned to me that you only ever had male managers, which is obviously different from Noah's trajectory of a woman giving her a chance. I find that really fascinating. I would say it contributes to how you approach your career in leadership because of the leadership that you've seen. Do you think that's true? And and what role do you think it played in your trajectory? Well, I think that it's it, it's a very interesting question um, in the sense that I think that generally people leave, I always say people stay at companies because of their manager and they also leave companies because of their manager. I think it made me hypersensitive, very hypersensitive to to the role of my manager uh, in, in my career trajectory. Um, and I paid very close attention during my interview processes um, to, to really get to know the people that I was going to be working uh, with. Generally, because I was so lucky in my, in, like, my very first job out of, uh, out of university to have someone that was so, so focused on, on people, right? Oftentimes, uh, your manager is very focused on, on like flexing their own muscles upwards and they're not as focused on on what's actually going on in their team and the people that they're like they're motivating and i think that uh, i pay very close attention to also managing up and and making sure that i provide that that piece of feedback to my current managers of i i think it's really important that we talk about motivation why are we doing this how are we approaching this how are we approaching this together as a team and and also can, that continuous feedback ends up really benefiting me over time because I think that then they end up feeling that I'm making them better at their job as well. So everyone kind of gets something out of it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think a question that I have for the both of you, though, is would you say that gender has played a significant role in relation to your career? Or do you feel like it's you know just who you are and it has nothing to do with the workplace? I ask myself that question all the time. My intuition says it has never played a role. I kick ass and I kick ass regardless of my gender uh, and I work hard and I'm passionate about the company. But when you deeply think about it and also relating to this conversation, I think the feminine traits that we have, that I have, noticing other people, influencing others, being delicate when needed and being aggressive also when needed um, has really, really contributed to my success. I keep asking myself, I feel that I have, I had quite a bit of courage in my career 
also when I started working at Yotpo and I created my new domain, when I started working at SoundCloud, even dreaming about starting to work at Music Tech when I was 30. But I always ask myself, if I were a man, did I have more courage or less courage? And I'll, I'll never know. But it's something I keep I keep asking myself. And whenever I feel scared or I feel I shouldn't be asking for anything, by the way, money, which is a topic we can talk of, I always tell, tell myself, if you were a man, would you demand this? And I hope the answer is yes. Like I, I would do the same regardless. When I, before I started this podcast, I always used to listen to women founded podcasts and that focused on gender. A lot of the questions are like, what's it like to be a female founder or something like that? I know I've asked that question on this podcast. And when I think about it, it well, we don't really know anything else, right? And so it makes it kind of hard to say, what is it like to be a woman doing X? Because we don't know the other side of it. But at the same time, I think to me also retrospectively, I noticed certain things. Like I remember having a really challenging time expressing my emotions and asking questions when I served in the Israeli intelligence. And when I look back at it, I was like, I was the one of two women in a room of 25 men. Maybe that had something to do with my confidence and the way that I expressed myself. Michelle, what do you think? I I definitely think that there are certain traits, certain female traits that make us, that give us a little bit of a superpower. I think that one of the, the biggest advantages as a, as a product manager is to have that I got this aura. And I, and I often think about, I think about my mom and how she kind of juggled having four kids and she moved from, uh, from New York to Belgium uh, to a completely new community and she, she ran a charity. So it, she was doing a lot of different things at the same time. And I always think, okay, she could do she could basically multitask and run a household and raise four kids and do lots of other things at the same time. So if she can do it, then probably I can do the same. And I think that ends up giving your team, whether it's your agile team or your professional team or your stakeholders, this feeling of, okay, we can trust her. And I think that as a, as a woman, that's one of the things that oftentimes we, we feel that we don't have. You know, we feel, oh, we're, maybe we're coming over as sensitive, maybe we're, we're over-communicating, but specifically in product management, it's like a lot of those things are actually huge benefits, right? Over-communicating is a huge benefit, getting people together, rallying the team, getting people really exciting, multitasking, all of that stuff is, ends up being something that, that are huge, huge pluses as a PM. So um, I do think that there's a huge benefit in it. With that said, I've had a lot of experiences where um, I was interrupted often, or I just felt kind of like I was in, I was the only woman in, woman in the room, kind of similar to yourself. So that can be intimidating. And, and oftentimes it's just kind of reminding yourself that even if you're the first person to take that step, it's amazing so that other women can follow in your steed. And so not being afraid of negotiating for something that you want or raising your voice or saying, hey, please don't interrupt me when I'm speaking, but just putting, putting things as they are and, and not feeling uncomfortable with that and not second guessing yourself in that sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we both have been talking about money and, and that aspect of the career. And I, I'd love to dive into it. But I think to, to speak about Yotpo specifically, so Yotpo is what we call in a pre-IPO phase, which is beyond exciting as it started in a, as a small startup and is obviously a global phenomenon. And I think when it comes to innovation, it looks so different at different scales. And I can tell you, for example, at City, which is a 200-year-old company, a lot of our innovation is saying, we've done this thing a certain way for 200 years. How do we break out of that? Versus you know, a company that's pre-seed or even Series A is perhaps more focused on product market fit and acquisition. So what would you say are the goals around innovation at Yotpo at this stage and why? And I'm sure they're a bit different for each of you. So Noah, do you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, so I think there's there are so many of them, but I think the number one goal in my perspective and for my role is how do we create a unified platform both as a company, but specifically for our customers? How do we leverage the fact that Yotpo is not a single product company, but has several uh, products and several values and make sure we create synergies for our customers' benefits? Uh, and it's not as trivial as it sounds, both on the operational level, innovation level, R&D level, uh, research level, product management level. And for me, if we nail that goal, if we can create a platform experience, leveraging synergies and creating value to our customers, that's a major success. Beyond that, I think another really complex goal that we have is we have different products playing in different segments. How do we leverage the limited resources that we have? We have ex-engineers to make sure we're actually dedicating the right time in the right places. Let's say for loyalty, how do we make sure that we develop the resources for, I'm just saying something here, for retention? And for reviews, how do we make sure that we dedicate resources for growth? So we have to really nail the specific goal for each product, and it's not necessarily the same goal for, for each and every one of them. So it's really, really co- a complex matrix. Yeah, and I mean, there's definitely aspects of Yotpo that are a lot, as far as like the industry goes, are very, very developed. For example, we know that with the internet and the different shopping experience, as you browse, you see thousands and thousands of reviews and ratings. So, you know, for Michelle, how do you say you innovate and how do you begin to even cut through the noise? It's a really interesting question, just also because you mentioned City that's been doing things for the last 200 years the same way. So... It was, it's a really good question that we ask ourselves as well at Yotpo. We've, we've existed for a decade. Reviews and ratings is the bread and butter. Uh, so it was like the first flagship product. Right. All, it's kind of our foot in the door for most brands. Um, and we're, we're really trying to think even on, on the set, um, in the sense of reviews and ratings, how do we innovate a mature product, right? And it's also the oldest growth channel in the book. Right, So your friends or your parents or your sisters, they tell you about something that they really like and then you end up buying it. And I think that um, specifically in the last, even with the pandemic in the last like 18 months, because competition with with, like online digital like commerce is so, the competition is so fierce and therefore acquisition costs are really, really high. Reviews and ratings are really one of the key areas that brands are looking at in order to increase lifetime value and retention, whether that comes from insights into what are the best products 
right? What are our hero products so that customers, like first-time customers that come for a first-time conversion to our site, which products should we push so that they are more likely to come and buy again? And gauging consumer interest and consumer satisfaction with those products is one of the key inputs in order to ensure that you're um, basically leveraging user-generated content to serve retention and to ensure that you're going to have like a second and, and, and third purchase, right? So when we think about reviews and ratings, we think a lot about how are we serving our merchants that information? That's number one. And number two, how are we innovating the experience for consumers? Just in the sense that, you know, you have TikTok and you have Instagram, which are to a certain extent also platforms for reviews, right? You, you yeah, see 100%. someone using a, a specific product and you're like, oh, that looks really cool. Um, maybe I should try it out. Uh, influencer marketing is really big as well. So kind of how do we tap into all of those different trends and feed it into an existing product as well as making sure we help our brands serve ratings and reviews wherever consumers are, right? So consumers are not only on site anymore, right? They're on social channels, they're, they're on retailers, really large retailers. One of, the, one of the key advantages to Yotpo is the retail syndication so that when you're selling, let's say, on Walmart, you have reviews that, that can tell a consumer, hey, this is a really good product and that you don't get like swallowed up in the thousands of products that Walmart has to offer. So a lot of those things are, are like contribute to, to how we, we really want to empower our merchants with user-generated content. I'll just add a tiny thing. When Michelle is saying our merchants, our merchants are IKEA, but it's also a small flower store somewhere. And that's also a huge challenge that requires tons of innovation. How do you cater for a tiny VSMB customer, which is super important and critical for us, but also huge, huge, huge customers like Patagonia and Ikea. Yeah, and I think that's a really exciting part about your role, Noah, how you are consistently zooming in and out, and Michelle, in your product space as well. I also think that the market is changing every single day. I mean, I felt it myself as a consumer. In the past, I was a lot more heavily reliant on influencer marketing and to see how these influencers are using the products. But now, especially in the United States, with how easy it is to shop online and do returns, at this point, I'm actually evaluating the website, the product descriptions, and I ordered. And if I don't like it, I send it back. You know, not every market is ready for that. I know, you know, being from Israel, I, I had a challenging time with e-commerce in Israel. And so, you know, we're talking about Yotpo, of course, as we said, in the pre-seed stage, you know, with the massive scale that Yotpo is going through comes growing pains, of course. And I know we've seen it, you know, not just male founded companies like we work in Uber, but with women founded companies too, whether that's Wing, Great Jones, Outdoor Voices, there's just been a lot of growing pains. And we know that when there is such a focus on hyper growth as there is in these later stage companies, a lot of women and people of color get left behind. So how do you feel about that? And how do you feel your company and you as managers and members of the team are managing that as you scale? That's a really interesting question. That's I, a really interesting question. Yeah. I think it's top of mind for Yatpo, actually, uh, specifically at this stage. Uh, we have a diversity committee 
They actually just presented in our recent All Hands, and they're, they're doing a lot of work. I think Yotpo does a really good job at looking at your potential and not only at your credentials. And I think it speaks volumes in the team as well. I really, one of the best things about Yotpo is there's an all-women product team on loyalty. And when you join, it's incredible to see, I think it's five women working together. And they also have all-women development teams. Um, I work with two development teams, and one of them is only women. Um, That's crazy. But it's, it's really, really incredible. And it works really well. So I think it is something that they're paying a lot of attention to, and they're focused on. And they're also, I think at this stage... I think there's there specifically in Israel there isn't a there isn't like a lot of a lot of companies are hiring right now, right? And there isn't that much talent. Israel is a small country, so a lot of companies are actually hiring really junior individuals, and they're basically running boot camps and teaching them from scratch, which gives people. Whether that's, whether that's people right out of university or 40-year-olds who want to move into high-tech, it gives them a new opportunity to kind of rethink their career path. Totally, and they're not just looking for like, oh, you have a computer science credential, you worked at Google and Facebook and Amazon. Oh, of course, we'll take you into this role. You know, it's a very different approach. 100%. So they're really thinking about better. I think that also managers are thinking very much okay, how can we teach, right? How can we teach how we do things and, um, and therefore also like broaden the, the diversity at our company as well in that sense? I think now that a lot of companies are hiring for senior and junior position, the fact that we are females can actually play to our benefits. I think a lot of companies have now the awareness and want to hire women. And the fact that, that we are females can actually be a, a, winning, a winning factor and we should highlight it and we should use it. It is a very, it's, it's a strength on a professional level. And now it could also actually be a strength on a hiring level as well. And we should definitely use it to our advantage. I agree. I agree completely. No, no questions from me there at all. So I think, you know, when you both join the company, as you know, it is in growing stages, I'm sure the question of equity came up as that's a part of the equation in joining a, a pre-IPO company. So where did you begin assessing how much equity you should be getting, especially when women historically don't negotiate as well as men do? My number one takeaway on this issue is educate yourself. Learn about the equity mechanism, learn how it works, understand it. It's not complex, to be fair, at all. It's a math game the way I see it. And just come to the negotiation table, understanding kind of the different factors that influence it. My second take would be, don't be afraid to ask questions. You might not get answers if, if it's confidential, but at least ask. Ask what's the exercise price of the stock? Uh, what's the valuation of the company? Is it pre or post money? Really, really ask the tough questions because you deserve to know uh, what's the value of your equity. Now, it's obviously impossible to value it exactly on the cent, but you can get a sense or an estimation of how much it should be worth best case, worst case scenario, and just know it's okay to ask those questions. And I think it's better, it's even better than okay, you'll be appreciated for asking. 
and appreciated for negotiating. Uh, it means you understand your worth. It, uh, it means you understand what you're bringing to the table. I feel the game today for startups is less about salary and definitely about equity. That's where the big money lies. And showing the different stakeholders, did you understand that? Uh, and did you know how to evaluate it? Again, is a very it's to your advantage and not against you. 100% agree with Noah. Definitely ask questions. Both of the companies that I worked for previously, they both IPO'd recently. And at both of them, I didn't even think of asking about equity. I was very new and I was kind of just very, very eager and excited to, um, to be in the product management role and to be part of the team and to be working on, on really exciting, innovative products. So I didn't even think about asking about it initially. And then when I joined Yotpo, I realized okay, I really need to make sure that I ask a lot of questions about this. And, and what was really nice is that there was a, a kind of a consensus all around that no one really knows about this in the interview process. There's a lot of things that they can't really talk about. There's a lot of awkward silences. But I totally agree with Noah that as long as you ask and you make sure that you, you kind of know what to ask for in that sense, uh, that you know, okay, what's the strike price? What's the evaluation? Where, how much do you think we're going to grow? A really great question to ask, and I learned this, I learned this the hard way actually, is when, was, when did you recently last raise money, right? And then try to calculate how much money does the company still have left in the bank? Because if, they're, if they, they last raised two years ago and it wasn't that much of a significant sum, then they're probably, you're going to enter a company at a, at a stage where they're very stressed because they're, they're trying to raise money. And that means the focus probably won't be on product or growth. It will be on selling themselves to investors. So that's a really, really good thing to think about also as you, as you interview. In that case, if they're stressed, would you ask for more equity because they're stressed and they can't pay you like liquid money? Probably, yes. And it would also be a lot more of a, ch of a challenge, right? It's going to be very difficult, specifically as a product manager, because they're going to want you to deliver more in a shorter amount of time. If you're going to put in that time and, and, and effort, and you know it's going to be difficult, then make sure that it's worth it. Ultimately, it's very transactional. Um, the whole hiring process is a, it's, I always like to say it's a sales process. They're trying to sell you the dream. And oftentimes, it's not really like that in reality, and that's okay. It's totally fine. But um, as long as you take it in that respect as well, and that it's not like, oh, they're, they're giving me this huge opportunity, I shouldn't ask for more. I think that women should even take that, that challenge and say, I'm going to negotiate anyway, just for the sake of knowing that I can. You are your own barrier. Of course, don't ask for a million dollars a year at a, at a junior level. But if you reach that point of discomfort, it'll push you to be a better negotiator and to show you your own value. 100%. And I would love to also add, um, add that negotiation is flexible. It's not just about salary and equity. If you do get refused, don't forget you can ask for signing bonus or vacation days. There are a bunch of other things you can play around with, which will benefit and give you better terms. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. 
So before I let you both go, thank you for the amazing advice across innovation, e-commerce, gender negotiation. Seriously, such an awesome conversation. Uh, I'd love to ask you both a question that we ask all of our innovators, and that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? Michelle, we'll start with you. Um, So let's start with the industry. I think that's an easier one. Um, So one month from now takes us into probably uh, like end of September, right? Mid-September. So I don't think a lot is going to be changing other than the fact that a lot of brands are going to be making sure that they're ready for Black Friday and holiday shopping. And I think that brands and retailers are going to bake a lot of newfound practices from the last year into that a very busy time of the year, and I think they're probably going to prioritize convenience and speed and personalization into holiday shopping. So think fancy custom packaging and curbside pickup uh, for the holidays. In terms of uh, one year, I think uh, we're going to see D2C retail accelerate even faster. I think that we're seeing a lot of our brands and merchants double down on their own tech, tech stack instead of selling on on really large retailers, they're realizing that investing that money versus having to pay fees is probably a better investment and that's what consumers want. And I think that ultimately they're realizing that retention and lifetime value is a real priority for them. So the competition is fierce, right? And they need to make sure that their experience is going to be much better and much more personalized probably also much more sustainable. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. And in terms of a, a decade from now, I think we're going to see a lot of new digital experiences, a lot of like converting what we do in the physical space into what we do digitally. My, my boyfriend's uh, father lives in China and, um, and we, re- we recently visited like before the pandemic. Um, and it was just incredible to see how People buy from live streams. It's totally normal. Uh, And I think that in 10 years from now, that's going to be a very big part of our lives as well. And I think we'll probably also see a lot more new product categories as well. Things that people don't buy online today or or don't really sell online uh, at all, probably going to be like shifting towards digital experiences as well. Noah? So I've learned that one thing I cannot do is predict the future, but I will speak (laughs) about what I would love to see for the industry. I would love to see more independent brands. I would love to see a proliferation of uh, smaller, younger, interesting brands and not the consolidation we necessarily see when it comes to e-commerce. I think it brings diversity, color, and just better products. For the 10 years outlook, I do feel, and I hope it's, it's, it's the reality, where the stores are not going to disappear. Obviously, e-commerce is going to get stronger and stronger, but the relationship and the innovation around e-commerce and store cycle uh, is going to get real interesting. Uh, and I'm just curious and fascinated to see how can we connect the, the digital and the physical experience that is coming. Well, ladies, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure, Michelle and Noah. I'm excited to see what you two will accomplish in your own careers, as well as the heights that Yotpo will grow to also. Thanks for having us and happy birthday. Thank you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. 
I was like, I'm going to say it so that you can add it to your podcast. <laughs> and really, Zoya, thank you. Thank you for the experience and thank you for building a platform for women to speak about women. It's an incredible opportunity to think about it and speak about it. So thank you for the experience. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'll be seeing you soon. Definitely. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.